back everyone into a special Broadway bulletin. This is our 100th mini episode. Woo! We are beyond grateful that you have hung around with us for the first 100 and look forward to bringing you a another 100. Woo! So let's <laughs> let the celebration begin and by that I mean let's get into our show. Woo! <laughs> hey, it deserves a lot of wooing. A hundred. That's incredible. Right. The more you woo, the better. Exactly. Well, kicking things off, Almost Famous, the musical, opened at the um, Jacobs Theater, the Bernard Jacobs Theater, on November 3rd, 2022. Shout out to Brandon Contreras, our friend of the show. Woo! Really excited about seeing that uh, show, so can't wait for that. Kimberly Akimbo opens November 10th, 2022. <laughs> the booth theater and i am so excited i love this show i cannot wait this is my birthday treat when i go see it so i can't wait on a very somber note um douglas mcgrath passed away uh suddenly and unexpected on november 3rd um our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and his friends um especially his wife and son um he was really fantastic, not only to meet in person, but to get to interview for our show, to talk about his uh, last work, Everything's Fine. A really great guy. And uh, I know that when I was sitting in a coffee shop and I learned the news, I was just godsmacked. I couldn't believe it, um, especially since it had just been a week since you know that I had talked to him. So that was very, very sad and somber news to learn. Yes. So to kind of switch gears back to our Broadway kind of recaps, uh, The Music Man announces that it will postpone its closing until until January 15th. So there's still more time to come see the 76 trombones, eh? Yes. We can go call, you guys are still causing more trouble in River City? Yes. I love it. Um, Patrick Page has announced uh, his departure date at Hades Town and taking over his role of Hades. Or reprising his uh, yeah, I guess takeover of the role. Uh, is Tom Hewitt. So that's exciting. So I want to switch gears now and I want to talk about um, a couple of shows that we saw this week. Or I guess more correctly that I saw this, saw this week. Um, it wasn't a full week of shows because we had family here for part of the week which was really great and exciting it was so nice to see them um but there are two shows that i really want to mention the first is at playwrights horizons and it's catch as catch can it's a new work and it kicks off their season and um i really enjoyed this one the way that it's being done is kind of a new way of telling a story that i from what i've seen and what's really great is when you get to the end and you see what happens, it makes you wonder, are we seeing multiple characters or are these a figment of another character's mind? And I'll leave it at that because I go more into detail about this in our full review for our patrons. But it it was one of those because I'd heard people say like, oh, it's kind of like disjointed and I had a hard time following and da 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 so I was kind of like oh no it doesn't seem like it was linked together right you know what I mean but then when I watched and I was like I'm following that's okay okay and then you arrive at the the climax I was like oh okay 
And then that other thought kind of peeked in and I went, oh, if this is what's actually happening, this is a really smart show. And I know I'm being very vague and opaque about this, but again, the full review when I go into this is available for our patrons. The other show that I want to talk about, I'm sure many people have heard a lot about because of its performers, which is Parade at City Center, mm-hmm. New York City Center, which was a fundraiser for Encores at Parade, or excuse me, Encores at New York City Center. Which, so it only ran from November 1st to November 6th. Yeah, basically a week, which most City Center productions run for a couple of weeks. This actually, I think they added shows because of how much it was selling. Because if I remember right, originally it was like three shows, I think. Don't quote me. But anyway, um, it was just such a powerful show. Um, If you don't know the story of Parade, you should definitely look it up. It's based on a true story, all of that. But the first time I listened to the album, not knowing the uh, story, I was so moved but also disturbed that I've never been able to listen to it again um it the story just it was so disturbing but going to this and the way it was directed and performed most importantly musically and vocally was so impressive um Mm -hmm. I remember I mentioned to you it was like that Phil Spector wall of sound like I've never heard voices harmonize or just meld like that to make that kind of a, a sound and experience in the theater of my life. So it was just, oh, incredible and just uplifting and heartbreaking and... Moving? Yeah. And the direct directorial style was really brilliant. So there's a lot of people hoping and there there's rumbles about it possibly moving to Broadway. And I hope it does. Um, it's an important piece. It's very timely. But um, again, there's a full review for our patrons available um, and speaking of patrons, um, we welcome any and everyone to come and support our show. Your 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 support, your donation, um, really goes a long way, helping us to continue to bring you this great, incredible content that we bring you covering on and off Broadway theater. It also helps to support these theaters. Um, your your donations and your, I guess your producing donations um help us you know continue to buy our tickets to see these shows so you're not just helping us you're helping theaters here in new york as well so if you are able to please visit patreon.com slash stage whisper pod uh check out the different levels of patronage and and sign up give what you can it means the world to us so thank you thank you even if you're just considering it your patronage really does you know, help us out a ton. So we really appreciate you. And also, we appreciate you sticking around for a hundred mini episodes. A hundred mini episodes. Yeah, as well as our main episodes, um, which we hope to bring to you a lot more to come because every time we see something new, it gets added into the list for us to cover eventually. We've so. got some great new Stage Whispers episodes coming to you this week, so stay tuned for that. And speaking of great new stuff... Uh, Coming up now, we've got a great new episode of Whisper in the Wings, where we sat down with playwright Fred Gordon and director David F.M. Vaughn, whose new work, American Muscle, is opening at the New York Theatre Festival. So please enjoy this Whisper in the Wings.
back and listeners to another episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have a fantastic lineup for you today. Joining us, we have Fred Gordon, who is the playwright of a new work, American Muscle, as well as the director of the show, David F.M. Vaughn. American Muscle will be premiering at the New York Theater Festival, and it's going to be playing Tuesday, November 8th at 6.15 p.m., Friday, November 11th at 4 p.m., and Saturday, November 12th at 9 p.m. And all of those shows will be at the Teatro Later in the Clement, which is at 107 Suffolk Street here in New York City. Fred, David, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Sage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hi. I am so excited to talk to you about this new play, American Muscle. Um, the, the, the the synopsis that was sent to me, I was two lines in and I was like, go, I'm ready. All, all it said, you know, I got to Lone Shark and I was like, I'm hooked. I'm in. Um, so Andrew, read it. Read it, Andrew. Read the synopsis? No, absolutely. Let everybody know what's coming up. Hannah's from Park Avenue, Norman's from the Bronx. After creating a successful business, he needs more, but she wants something else. Norman borrows $350,000 from a loan shark. When he can't repay it, the loan shark demands the money from Hannah. Infuriated and frightened, she wants Norman out of her life, but he wants reconciliation. Threatened by gangsters, torn by personal conflicts, they are forced to the edge. I mean, done. Sign me up. What a great thriller. Drama. I love it. So, so Fred, let me start with you. How did you come up with the idea of this show? Somebody told me that you can't write a play about rich people and have people the audience care. That rich people are so insulated and so protected and so different from most of us that to actually get involved with that and their concerns is impossibly difficult. That was one of the uh, one of the challenges that I had, but that was really just a, a frame, I think. What's interested me is not always when love blooms, but when love changes between two people, when love stretches out, and may stretch out so far that there's no dynamic between those people anymore. And what happens to those people? How do you go on living if what you've always assumed, that person that you've been sleeping with and living with for 30 years, that energy within you changes, then what? So I would say that that's one of the, that's one of the drives that I was exploring in this play. That's so awesome. I love that. And let me let me shoot up to David for this next one because David, you're the director. What was it like developing the show then? Uh, Fred and I had been working on two other plays together, um, so we had already kind of developed a, a good relationship in the development process, which is you know its own kind of beast. And then there's the actual production process, which were you know I'm actually directing the show, and you know because we had met just prior to COVID, we we didn't really there wasn't a lot we could do. We did a lot of zoom readings. We did one, um, in-person kind of showcase. Um, and so this was kind of our first big, like our first foray into like actually putting something on stage and, 
And so it was a lot of fun, but yeah, Fred sent this to me and he said, I, you know, this is this new play. Well, I don't know what you think. And, um, it was immediately, um, one of my favorites because kind of one of the themes in the show is kind of bodies and body image and the, um, the immediate gratification, uh, 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 satisfaction of maybe having a pill that could just melt your fat would just go away and you just become kind of muscular and what, what that would do to people and what that does to people who have, you know, I grew up as a kind of a chunky kid my whole life. So that always sits on my shoulder, right? Is this like this, I, this body image is, is everything and skinny people get everything. And, and, and it, it you know, it, it clouds sometimes your thinking. And, and so that is a small part of this plot, but it, it, it really, uh, attracted me very much to the story of this couple that Fred was talking about who are at this precipice of kind of falling out of love with each other or moving on and, and, and what it means. Um, and so that was something that really caught my eye. Um, and so we just, he would just send me a draft and we'd, I would spend, we'd spend three hours on the phone just talking about it and me telling him what I loved and my ideas I had and, and, what jumped out at me as something very easy to kind of put on stage and, and what was maybe a little more difficult and we could maybe adjust. Um, and we just kind of went back and forth until this opportunity came. Um, and he was like, should we do it? Should we put it out there and, 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 and see what it looks like on his feet? Um, and which I think is such an important part of this process because you can zoom read and table read your, till your, you know, eyes cross, but there's just something about having an actor standing up and not having a book in his hand that just will change everything just slightly enough to where you see it differently. Um, because we've all, Fred and I have seen this play perfectly done a hundred times every time we've read it. We've seen it perfectly done, perfectly casted. The sets are gorgeous, but now we actually have to do that. And when you put it on real actors and real bodies, it changes things both for the for the better and worse, right? There's There are things that you're like, this is gonna be brilliant. And you went, nope, doesn't work. Can't do that. Can't do that, just doesn't work. And there are things that I maybe just thought were a transition scene or, or not really important and then are just jumping out. So it's such a fun part of this uh, long relationship that we have where we're, it's a, it's a big jump in the kind of maturity of the show. So that's kind of been our experience with this. And we've had one small kind of zoom reading, just, you know, a couple people in a couple boxes to hear it out loud. This is the first time, you know, we've actually produced it. So I'm always a big fan of seeing brand new stuff. Um, I like working with brand new stuff and I love having actors work on brand new stuff because that kind of rawness is very, as we were discussing before we went live, like the, the kind of newness and the daringness um, is so attractive instead of having something like perfect and, and ready to go. So that's kind of how we got here. That's fantastic. Oh, I would love to keep sitting around and just like picking your brain some more about process and everything. Like, Oh, it's fantastic. Um, Sticking with you a little, David, uh, for this next question, what is the message or the thought that you're hoping the audience will leave with when they leave the show? You know, this is something we've been talking about because there's, like any really great play, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. So we, and I do mean we, like we have to, Fred and I have to decide, like, what do we want that last flavor, right? What's that last piece of the, the meal that you walk out with? Um, and it can be a lot of things, right? It could be, is it this, is it that, is it that? So um, I think what I, what is, what I would love the audience to leave with, which is what I think is the strongest part of the play, which is where you have this very nuanced, complicated part of a relationship. It's not, will they, won't they? It's not, are they getting divorced or not? There is this like forever love 
And when do we just stop? When do we say no more? When do we go our separate ways? Because when you are older, you've been together for a really long time, you have children, you have business, you have a lot of things that intertwine you. You kind of never can just be out of each other's lives. And so when you have this, uh, you have one character, not to spoil too much, but we have one character who's maybe further along in the separation than the other. That tension to me is the 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 kind of darkly fun part to watch happen on stage when you you're kind of rooting for one character to kind of convince the other. Um, so I want the I guess I, I I want the the audience to leave with the uh, an intimate view at that kind of nuanced end of a relationship and how the end of a relationship can kind of come with its own beauty while also being, you know, obviously dark and tragic, but there is a weird beauty sometimes in officially moving on and what hmm. that means. One of the most puzzling things that uh, somebody told me, actually a, a teacher I had in, in, in school, uh, I was very young and I thought he was very old. Uh, he was probably in his early sixties. And he said to me, he said, you know, a lot of plays and, and novels are about the beauty of discovery, hmm. but nobody writes about the beauty of decay. Hmm. And I'm not sure I really understand that. I think I do. The image I have is of a log in the forest rotting. And from that deterioration of that tree, new life springs forward. But I think that's glossing over what he meant. I think he meant the beauty of decay. And I can't quite imagine that, but I do somehow know it. And there is something, and David, you were talking about that, about there is something in a way majestic about how people confront their deepest horrors the things that they hope never will happen, when they happen, then what? Who are they? How do they deal with it? How do they think about themselves? Mm. So part of this play is about that. It's about, I've been living this life for a long time with you. I know this life. It's changing. Do I have to change? What does that mean? Who am I now? And I also think that there's a, uh, forgive me for quoting Dan Savage. He's, he's, he's one of my favorites, but he, <laughs> he talks all the time about how the success of a relationship is not in its longevity. And there are such thing as successful short-term relationships. And that, when that, when I heard that it meant it, it really hit me. It was like, sometimes you date people for three months and it was great. And you had a successful short-term relationship, but it didn't, that was the end of it. And so I think about him saying that a lot when I've been directing this play about mm. when, a, when, a, when a relationship is over romantically, does that mean it was unsuccessful? And I, and I, I per, my personal view on that is, is not. I've had, I have a, a lot of wonderful exes that I, I, I think very fondly of in a non-romantic way. Our romantic lives ended at a certain point, but I don't consider that a, a, not a success. And I think there are these, both of these characters maybe aren't thinking that formally about it, but I think there is a part of them that the, the part of the tension comes from. They're like, this is maybe ending, but maybe there are so many great things about it. And I, I'm tortured by that. And, and to me, it's because they are maybe ending a successful relationship. 
which is it's kind of a, a weird thing to think because there was a lot of really great things that happened in these people's lives. But I think their romantic future doesn't exist anymore. And one struggles with that more than the other. But um, that's I don't know why Dan Savage came up to my mind. But I, I think about that a lot because it is a more nuanced, complicated view of kind of romance. And just, you know, we all know those like couples who have been together for 60 years and hate each other. Right. <laughs> and you're like, is that a successful relationship? Or are the people who were together for 10 years and had a kid, but then they got divorced, but they still are best at friends? Or was that is that a successful relationship? And 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 what differentiates the two? So that that's something that I think is kind of a fun thing to play within the show specifically. that you guys have mentioned this is the first full production of the show of American Muscle and that you've had lots of Zoom readings. Not lots. Oh. No, just, just, just one Zoom reading on this with David. I had another Zoom reading. I'm a member of a theater company called Ensemble Studio Theater. Oh. And it's got, and it's got a playwrights unit and I've, uh, I've had that play, have this play read there as well. Uh, David had been in on the process uh, when I first started it before I had it read at ESC, after ESD, and then when he and I did it on Zoom, and now we're doing it at New York Theater Festival. We've had the two readings and now the full premiere. So how long in all of mm. that have you been working on this play from, from conception to now? Mm, a year, a year and a half, David, what would you say? About a year and a half. What? That's that's not too long compared to most plays. No. No, it isn't. But then again, Andrew, you know, we haven't really had the the options uh, during the pandemic. I think everybody stayed in and, and theaters shut down. And, and so I don't know if we were to, you know, begin the process today, what I don't know what the difference would be. But at any rate, we've worked on this for a year and a half. That's fair. Everybody had a lot more free time on their hands. Right, right. Well, rounding out this first part of the interview, I want to ask you both, and I'll start, I'll stick with you, Fred, on this first one. Mm. Who do you hope have access um, to this show? Everybody, everybody. Um, I wrote this play with the intention of trying to capture an audience. And I have to say, I, I've been writing plays for a bunch of years, and I haven't always had that intention. I've more had the intention of writing a play that entertained me than would entertain the audience. So in part of my, um, I'll use the word growth as a playwright, or though maybe I should really say development as a playwright, I've come to think of the audience more in terms of what am I giving them rather than what is this form doing for me in terms of my own delight in writing. I love writing that in itself could be a trap because basically when you write, if you keep it at your desk, fine. But when you bring it out into the world, what is your responsibility after that? And it's taken me a little bit of time to recognize that part of my responsibility is communicating with the audience. You'd think that'd be a, a first understanding of what the world is, but not for me. So now I am 
wanting to take my continuing impulses as a writer, articulate that clearly, make it dramatically effective, and communicate it. David, how about you? Who do you hope have access to the show? I, I don't have a better answer than Fred, but I, I will just say that like access to theater is such it is it is slightly buzzy right now in the theater, but I think it's also very much a real conversation because I think sometimes buzziness can kind of bleh. but um I, access to theater, I think, is the next kind of big mountain to climb for commercial theater. So I've seen some shows doing really unique things about giving free tickets um, consistently, um, doing uh, all kinds of unique ways to get people in who normally don't see theater. And, you know, that that is a constant struggle that regional theaters have, right, is they have the subscription uh, base that pays all the bills who traditionally want old existing properties that they already know. But newer theater goers do not want that they want something new that speaks to them that they understand that is 2022 um and the, you I, i've worked a lot regionally both as an actor and a director and i see that struggle in these and when they do these seasons where they're like yeah we gotta do we want to do something new but we gotta do a joseph otherwise we can't pay the bills or you know whatever it is um so i hope that our show being super low cheap to get a ticket to and super low risk as far as like, there's no Broadway producers paying millions of dollars for this, that we get a lot of those newer theater goers who maybe want to see something and aren't going to pay $400 to see music man. Music man's great, but I'm, I'm not, you know, crapping on music man, but you know what I mean? Um, I totally so, <laughs> and, and yeah. And I, and I think, I think maybe that would be a, a next step for our show is when the show is, you know, the, the show is part of a musical theater, uh, sorry, a theater festival and there are certain rules and, and all kinds of things. But once maybe the show continues to progress, I think the, the unique way we bring in an audience, I think will come into play a little bit more because I think it's important to get people in who don't normally come to theater. And I know that's easier said than done, but it's definitely top of mind um, for me as a creator. I have found that if I can just get, once I can get someone to just randomly jump off the cliff and just buy a ticket without knowing what they're getting into and they realize how much fun that is, they're more likely to do it on their own. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that's exactly what you have to do. Don't worry about, I mean, don't go and spend $300 on a ticket and not know what you're getting into. Oh my gosh, I hired the price. You should know what you're getting into. But when it's 25, 30 bucks, look, that's, that's half a meal out, you know, just jump in. Oh, that title sounds interesting. Just jump in, go see it. And that's how you'll tend to find something new and exciting. And you're like, oh my gosh. I totally. I, I did an opera once with this guy who he did this thing with cheese. Stay with me. This actually connects. Hold on. <laughs> he, he would, he would have, he would, he would do it. I think every weekend for like both weekend days, he would do like a cheese night and he would go to the grocery store and pick a cheese he had never heard of. He wouldn't read the description. He would just buy it. And he loved cheese and whatever. But I love that idea of maybe promising yourself once a month, once a week, whatever you can afford, that you're going to purposely choose a random off-Broadway show at a certain price level that you know nothing about. And just because I think you're right, those are the kind of things that surprise you. And I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of great theater that way, both by you know friends with you know free tickets or whatever, or going to see them for professional reasons. And I just walk in there and I always feel like my experience is better by just diving in and not doing, you know, not listening to the soundtrack a hundred times before I walk in, just going, oh, I heard this musical called Six. I don't know anything about it. Let's just go see it. And then you see it. And then, you know, 
generally your, you know, even if you aren't impressed, I think, I think that is a great, um, maybe that's a thing we should start convincing people of doing. It seems like you're doing it maybe like once a month, go see something at the $25 level that you've never seen before. You've never heard of as just a risk. That's a great idea. I think I'm going to start doing that. speaking about um kind of other people we've admired and and relating american muscle into that i want to give our listeners a chance to get to know both of you a little bit better and fred i want to start by asking you um what shows or playwrights and composers have inspired you um in the past or maybe even do you love eugene o'neill oh yes um I saw a production of Long Day's Journey Tonight. I've seen many productions of Long Day's Journey Tonight. I saw it when I was very young, and it was one of the first Broadway shows I'd ever seen. And I, I, I'm sure you probably know that in its original version, it runs over three hours. Mm-hmm. And I bought a ticket at the last moment, and fortunately, I was in the second row on the side of the house, and I was so close, I could, I could feel the actor's breath. And I sat there with my legs crossed, my hands tight. And at the end of three and a half hours, I stood up at the curtain call, not because I was applauding the play or the actors, but I was really upset that the play had ended. (laughs) It was so wonderful. I had been on such a fabulous journey. And I think that as I've grown and I've read more of O'Neill, I think there's a lot of O'Neill that's wonderful. And there's a lot, well, there's some of O'Neill that's just not quite wonderful. I should also tell you that I'm very intrigued with Cirque du Soleil. Hmm. That's the next thing I'd like to do, David. I'm also uh, very interested in the way uh, Taylor Swift uh, conducts her concerts. I uh, love the bigness, the boldness, the brassness of it. And at the same time, I'm uh, a devoted uh, Chekhov, Ibsen, Strindberg fan. So where I, as a playwright, fit within all my loves is an ongoing journey for me, and I'm still discovering it. That is quite the collection. I love that. Incredible. Mm. David, Mm. how about you? So I come from mostly the musical theater world. I was uh, an actor in musical theater for a long time, Broadway tours regionally. And uh, when I transitioned to directing, I I think I maintained a lot of that love of kind of big budget musical theater-ness of it all. And so um, I, the, the, the show that I kind of credit to making me want to be in theater was I was, I lived in Florida when I was a kid and I saw a touring production of a show called the who's Tommy, which was supposed to come back to Broadway this year. And, um, it was the first time I had ever seen a show. I had seen like, you know, cats or fiddler on the roof or some older shows at the time, but this was the first time I saw a show that didn't do what all those shows did. They didn't have drops. They didn't, they had a rock band on stage. Everything was very over the top and like an almost uh, operatic way. 
um, there's a, a scene where a mirror is smashed and these mirror pieces fall over the stage. And I just, I kind of like Fred was saying, like my, I found my jaw agape the whole time. And there was no, it was the first time the theater had kind of disappeared. And I remember, I think about that show all the time because that experience lives with me in the kind of how it, it, it grabbed onto me because it wasn't done the way everything else was. It was kind of speaking to me at the time. It was using rock music. It wasn't, there was no book scenes. There were no lines. And um, so I, that kind of bold, you know, um, production value kind of style show is something that I, I love. I loved, I directed Beauty and the Beast and, and Trek and some of these really, really, really big shows. And what I love about them, I think is the inverse of what I love about some of these smaller plays. So in these big shows, I love being able to move these giant set pieces and, and uh, coordinating music and lighting everything to be able to tell the story um, in a way that is riveting and isn't just saccharine and flashing lights and moving set pieces. In that, when I do these plays, I particularly am drawn to the less production-y plays. I love intimate, small, nuanced plays which is maybe my own palate cleanse from the kind of bold musical theater. Um, but so one of, one, one of the plays that did that to me was uh, Neil Labute's Reasons to be Pretty. Mm -hmm. And the reason I love it was the show, there's nothing, I, I, I could describe the show in a very small sentence, right? There's a partner overhears their partner say something maybe negative about them and they can't shake it and how that can kind of infect this relationship. And so it's this kind of nuanced, small thing that happens, right? There's no guns, there's no explosions, there's no tap dancers. It's none of that, right? It's a small show, but it was so attractive to me. And I was so connected to it because I could totally understand how overhearing a comment like that could ruin a relationship and, 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 and even for that person, not be able to explain it to somebody. So um, I definitely find my uh, inspiration in being able to tell stories dramatically whenever I get something that's big on my desk, like let's, you know, Legally Blonde, for example. My goal is not to see how many pink flashing lights I can make, right? That my goal is like, can I make people feel whatever I need them to feel on this scene with all of that stuff? Mm. And that is always my goal is to make sure that yes, in 42nd Street, we have tap dancers on top of pennies that roll across the stage, but will they feel anything in some of those book scenes? And if not, like that is for sure my goal because that is not always top of mind for a lot of those directors. Speaking of uh, Cirque du Soleil, we, Fred and I never actually told, talked about this, but I got to see, I think it was one of the only Cirque du Soleil shows I ever saw. I got to see O at the Bellagio in uh, Vegas, which is the show entirely in water. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like Fred's first show, you were saying like, I was in Vegas by myself for a vacation and I wanted to see the show and they they were totally sold out except for one day that one blocked view seat that was $150. And I was like, I got to see the show. Everyone talks about it. And I was in the very front row, but all the way to the side. So a good half of the stage was totally blocked from view. But if, if you haven't seen that show, it is like a lot of Cirque du Soleil shows. It is dense nonstop. There's a hundred things to look at, yeah. but, but what's so beautiful about that show is that the pool the, the, they have like a, you know, a hydraulic stage that can kind of lower or, or, or raise in a way where the stage can be flat and dry or it can be 20 feet deep. So at any moment they're lowering and raising this platform. So, you know, they'll have a scene where a guy runs across the water, right? So we know the platform is a couple inches below the water. And then right after that, somebody does a triple dive in the air and falls right in because the thing lowers people enter from the water. It is one of the most beautiful 
things I've ever witnessed. And that's part of my fascination with opera is that it's this bold, over-the-top, fantastic kind of thoughtless Salvador Dali paintings. And that's actually kind of where I think theater is headed, honestly. I think the realism, I think people are a little... Uh, disappointed with the the realism of life right now. And so some of these over-the-top fantasy, Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thronesy things, part of their draw is that they are not real. They are so not real. And that's where the, their beauty lies. So if you haven't seen O with the Bellagio, I would totally see it, even if it's a blocked view. But I guess a long answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, have you either of you seen any great theater lately? I know you've been busy with the show, but but is there any great theater you've seen that you could recommend to our listeners? And David, why don't I start with you? Have you mm. seen any great theater? So I have two kids. My husband and I have a three-year-old and we have a nine-month-old. So we don't get out as much as we would like to. <laughs> however, um, however, we did just go get to see um, Six, the musical, which surprisingly a lot of the shows that kind of come to Broadway and people are like, Oh my God, it's the best it's the best, best. And I go see it generally let down, right. It's hard to kind of live up to any sort of hype. I'd heard that about six and I went and saw six and it is top five theatrical experiences of my life. It, it and, and for a very specific, it, I love shows. I think you were talking about this earlier, Andrew, that are consistent in voice. It may have been terrible, but it was it was itself. It knew it had its own identity and knew exactly what it was. Six is a pop kind of concert musical with the most impressive lighting I've ever seen in my entire life. It is so fun. It's not deep. It ain't Shakespeare, but it is so well, it is kind of Shakespeare, but it's not Shakespeare. But it's it is so incredibly done it is it is a perfect version of that kind of stuff that kind of what maybe bubblegum musical theater you call it um it, it was just i i had a smile on my face the whole time it's incredible and the and the actresses who play the um the six women and, and even the band were just they were just the top top of their game i haven't seen a ton of theater so i can't tell you about all the really cool off-broadway stuff that i've seen because i haven't but um that was we saw that a couple of weeks ago and it was just it was fantastic I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, that's a that's a fan fave here on our show. Fred, how about you? Have you seen any great theater lately that you might want to recommend? No. So, Andrew, I'm sorry, I I, I can't answer your uh, your 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 question. Um, uh, I've been watching a lot of television, and I don't know if either of you have seen The Patient, uh, Steve Carell. No, but I've seen the commercials and it looked so good. Oh my, it is. First of all, he is magnificent. Second of all, it's a very bold exploration of the patient and the therapist. And I won't tell you anything about it other than it's got Steve Carell and Domhole Gleeson. Uh, anyway, it's a wonderful show. So unfortunately, I have no plays to recommend but that's one of the uh, television shows I urge you to see. And it's it's a really dark show, too, from what I gather as well. It is not Steve Carell lighthearted. It's The Office. No, 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 no. Right. It is. It is. It is. It's a darker show. And one of the positives that I, as a writer, have in working with David is, as you've heard, David comes from a background very different from mine. And that's a wonderful combination, I think, for the two of us. Because he, you, you heard him talking about pacing. I can only tell you 
that I sit there in rehearsals and I watch him do his pace. I just grin from ear to ear because I know not only is he moving the story along, but he's helping the story. He's focusing the story and he's giving the story to use a word that we use today in rehearsals, David, punch. And punch is an effective, can be an effective way of grabbing people, pulling them in and making them disappear in theater. That is one of the dreams that I have as a writer for an audience. Can I pull you in, make you forget everything, make you live in that world and find out something about yourself? That's amazing. Well, that's, I think, the possibility of good theater. It's probably also the possibility of good art. Uh, my next question, let me start with Fred. Mm-hmm. Fred, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Collaboration. I also write novels. Um, What intrigues me uh, about the difference between novel writing, well, everything intrigues me about the difference between novel writing and theater writing. But one, when you write a novel, what's on the page is the form that it exists in. It is on a page. You read it on a page. When you work on a play, the play is not the page. The play is the collaboration. It's bringing in actors. It's bringing in a director. It's bringing in sound. It's bringing in lighting. And to go from the total control of a novelist, writing a novel in which that world is on that page, to going to taking your play and giving it over so that the play can become richer, can experience the input of so many different sensibilities and create a picture exactly like I think, David, you were saying. It's something that, oh my goodness, I never imagined this. Or where did he come up with that? That's so perfect. Or no, (laughs) that doesn't work. That's not part of the play. But it's that challenge that I love. And I love going back and forth between the printed page and the spoken visualized, inactive page. David, how about you? That's so, uh, just to touch on what Fred said, that's so true. So I also write for television and that that is something common that I think a lot of new TV writers don't understand is that they think, oh, I wrote this script, like that's the thing. And what you wrote is not the TV show. What you wrote is a document on how to make the TV show. And then a director will take it and actors will take it and an editor will take it and they'll, they'll make the show. Your, your script is not the show. And, and that was a hard lesson for me when I first started writing was what I wrote isn't necessarily what is going, the final, like Fred said, that's not the thing. That, that, that is simply a how-to document. That's the IKEA directions on how to build, build the Hemnes bookshelf. It is not the Hemnes bookshelf. So um, anyway, so I, I, I fully agree with what Fred said. My personal, and this is maybe more selfish, my, my favorite part of directing and the theater is the first day of tech because I love seeing you know you talk about set pieces and costume and wardrobe and casting and all all the things that you have to do months and sometimes years in advance and that first day in the theater when they're loading in sets and the actors are finding their dressing rooms and you just see the shape start to form and it is so exciting especially and this is the the, more of the self-centered part was like if let's say a year ago you were discussing with a playwright something you came up with something you're like what if there was a giant mirror on the stage and it rotated and it did all these things and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then you have 
months and months and months of emails and, and phone calls and stuff. And then you get there and there's this big mirror and it's being loaded in and you're just, your brain can't comprehend that you thought of something and somebody took it seriously. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually considered <laughs> what you said and is doing it. And they haven't yeah. figured out that you don't know what you're doing. And so I love tech because it's my first time that I get it. And it, there's also, you know, coming from an acting background, there is a, an excitement you can't recreate for the actors on that first day when they're in the theater and their shoes and their wardrobe is hanging up on their thing and they walk out on the deck and it, there's just, and there's such a leveling up of the show there that I, I just, as a director, I just absolutely love that. I also feel like part of what makes me, part of what I think is in my skill set is being able to correctly kind of build a show. We talked about momentum and, and tempo and stuff. And so that's when all that starts, right? We're starting from the beginning. When do the house lights go on? When does the music start? How does the actor walk on stage? And how do we build that for a next hour and a half to three hours in a way that is satisfying for an audience? So I, I personally love the first day of tech. Well, winding things up, I want to ask my favorite question, which is what is your favorite theater memory? And David, uh, is it right if I start with you? I will say that it's one of my favorite memories. One of the things I do in rehearsals is, and this is just to get to know each other and to have a little fun before we start. I always ask a silly question, like what's your favorite ice cream? And everyone kind of goes around. It's just a way to kind of, you know, get into things. Um, but I always make sure when I ask about favorite movie, favorite song, favorite show, that it's like one of your favorites. Cause we, you know, I don't know what my favorite theater memory is, but the one that came to mind was um, I saw a production of a show called Bandstand um, which was a musical that was on Broadway a couple years ago. Um, it did not do well. It was only on Broadway for a second. And it was one of those shows where I walked in literally knowing nothing other than seeing the logo outside the theater and a friend gave me free tickets. I knew quite literally nothing about it. And I, I loved the show. I won't go into detail about it or what I think could have been fixed because I, I think I could have easily fixed the show and I'd still be running on Broadway, but just a small few <laughs> things. Anyway, um, uh, but there, the, the end of... The end of act one was, I think, one of two times in my life that the breath came out of my lungs. And when the last beat of the music hit and the lights came up in the audience, I had to, I felt myself, like, I felt myself kind of catching my breath. And it was similar to that the moment Fred was speaking about where I, 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 I hadn't felt that much all at once in a very, very long time. And mm. I just remember thinking this is a, this is really hard to do, especially, you know, we all, the more we learn, the more we see, the more kind of pessimistic we get about things. And I, I, I just, I, I felt so much, my, my, my body was tingling and it took me, I looked over at my husband and we just couldn't talk for a few minutes. Cause we were both just kind of a little emotionally on edge. And we were just like, it just to have that kind of breath taken out of your lungs was such a rare experience. The only other time that I can think of is, um, seeing the revival of color purple. Um, again, I knew nothing about it. I mm -hmm. hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie. I mean, um, bad gay. I've never seen the movie. I knew nothing about the story and read the book. I hadn't seen the original production in on at the Broadway theater. And this was the the revival and I had a friend in it. She's like, Oh, come see the show. I was like, okay, great. And, um, the lead character sang a song called I'm here. And at the end of that song, I was audibly sobbing in a gross, sloppy, blubbery way. And it just doesn't happen. It's so rare for me, you to reach inside me that way. 
And so those are the two moments I, I said I would do one. I did two um, of that. Like it, it, it is the rest of the show aside. I love them both. The rest that was that not, those moments where the somebody reached inside of my lungs and pulled the air out for a second was pretty meaningful. That was Cynthia Erivo, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Uh, I thought that that was one of the most incredible moments in theater that I had experienced. And I think I, I, it was so vivid for me because there she was down center looking at the house and everybody was with her and she was with everyone. And everyone knew who she was and she knew everyone. And we were all together in this extraordinary moment. And she was saying, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is how I feel. Do you get me? Yeah. And boy, did we get her. But that was one of my favorite moments. I, I have two others. If, Please, if you don't, yes. Do you have them? Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, I uh, One of the very first theater experiences I had was seeing the uh, Broadway production of Auntie Mame, not the musical, the play, the play Auntie Mame with Rosalind Russell. I don't know, I must have been eight or nine. And I remember I was fortunate that I sat on an aisle seat. And I would say that because Rosalind Russell was so funny, I actually fell out of my chair into the aisle laughing. Rosalind Russell did that for me. Fabulous. But I would say my favorite moment in the theater, and I'm not the first to say this, is the moment that the house lights go down, the theater is dark, the curtain has not yet gone up, and the entire world is in front of you. Mm. That is to me, oh, please. Please. Yes. What was it that Moss Hart said? The the four most powerful words in the English language is our act one, scene one. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I always, even to this day with how many shows I've seen, I always get excited when the house lights go down all the way out. And I'm like, okay, great. So what are we going to see immediately when the lights come up? And it's just so exciting because the possibilities are endless. You never well, know what to see. It's exciting. And, and you'll never see it again. And yeah. and that's the that's the unique, but it's hard to explain to people who don't go to theater a lot is, yeah, you maybe saw Wicked this weekend, but you saw, a, 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 you all experienced those 1,400 people experience something that will has never happened and will never happen never again. Happened. And while it will be told similarly, and then, you know, people have similar experiences, you guys saw that you guys were there for that experience. And that is what live theater is, mm. is its unique point of view. Because like Fred said, television is great right now. We are, there is some amazing storytelling happening in television, but what we can do that television cannot is give you that live experience. And so to capitalize on it in that way and to think about it as like, we shared an experience in this room. When I saw Hamilton, it was really early on in the run to where if you got a ticket, you won, you literally quite won the lottery. And there was this feeling in the house that I've never experienced before where everyone there knew they were there to experience something special. And they were really lucky to be in that room. Wow. And that was such a, it was such a manifestation of the feeling. I think we all kind of feel in theater, mm -hmm. but it was really palpable in that mm -hmm. house because, you know, mm -hmm. you couldn't get tickets. It was the original company. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, 
I think that Fred's answer is much more eloquent than mine, but that's, that's a beautiful way to answer that question. Mm. Well, then uh, my final question then is if our listeners want to get more information about your show, American Muscle, or mm. about either of you, uh, how can they do that or reach out to you? So the, uh, we, there's a website called AmericanMusclePlay.com, and that's where we kind of have all the show information right now, and especially all the ticket information for this specific production. Um, I am all over the internet at David FM Vaughn, um, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, as long as it exists. And, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, but yeah, that's, that's how you can find me. And I, I typically like to, I'll, I'll, I'm better at Instagram than anything, but, um, yeah, you can find me anywhere at David FM Vaughn. Well, David, Fred, thank you both so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk to me about this incredibly fascinating upcoming show american muscle i appreciate you taking the time thank you thank you andrew thank you very much my guests today have been fred gordon the playwright of the new show american muscle and david fm vaughn the director uh and american muscle is premiering at the new york theater festival playing tuesday november 8th at 6 15 p.m friday november 11th at 4 p.m and Saturday, November 12th at 9 p.m. All performances being played at the Teatro Later in the Clement, which is at 107 Suffolk Street. Tickets and more information can be found at www.americanmuscleplay.com. And we're going to have all of this information as well as how to get a hold of our guests uh, in the episode description, as well as all over our social media. Um, Don't miss the show. It opens tomorrow as of this recording. Um, it sounds absolutely fantastic. So get your tickets and get them quick. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, Mela, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.